All right. So it's August 4th, 2018. And at a Star Trek convention in Las Vegas, Patrick Stewart stands up and to a crowd of enthusiastic fans announces his return to the role of Jean-Luc Picard. Jean-Luc Picard is back. How was that for you, Jared, that experience hearing that he was coming back? I was completely on board. I had no hesitation when I heard that Patrick Stewart would be reprising his role. I thought, whatever it is, I will watch it. And I will watch it faithfully <laughs> because he's my captain. Yes, I agree. He is, yes. He, hands down, my favorite captain. I, I was flipping out. I think I was audibly screaming when I heard the news. I was so excited. And so I just remember, like, within a couple of days of the big announcement, I was just driving to work and thinking about uh, my experience I'd had recently finishing binge-watching every live-action episode and movie of Star Trek and how fun that was. And this this announcement got me so excited, I was thinking, maybe I should do it again, at least with Next Generation. And I thought, well, it might be kind of fun to podcast about this. Um, I thought more about about the announcement itself and what Patrick Stewart said. And at one point, he talks about um, the stories that he's heard from fans about what Captain Picard has meant to them. I have never, ever grown tired of hearing from people who stop me in the street or in a restaurant who say to me, your show changed my life. Without Star Trek, the next generation, I might not be here. And that made me think, you know, maybe we should do a podcast where we share stories about ways that Star Trek The Next Generation has touched the lives of the fans who love that show. So I called up my brother Jared, pitched him the idea, and he was all for it. So now we bring to you the first installment of the Jean-Luc Picard cast. Shall I compare so welcome to the first episode of the Jean-Luc Picard cast. I'm Jared Gillens. And I'm his brother, Shark. And as uh, Shark mentioned in his, in his little introduction, well, and also as the title would indicate, it's a podcast dedicated to Jean-Luc Picard and his many adventures. And so the realm of this podcast uh, can extend to anything that involved Patrick Stewart in his role as Jean-Luc Picard. So uh, there are several feature films that uh, feature him. Uh, there are, uh, are a couple of computer games that came out in the 90s that in- featured his voice acting as Captain Jean-Luc Picard. So if, uh, if any of you were particularly influenced by uh, late 90s <laughs> uh, PC games featuring uh, Patrick Stewart, then we more than welcome anybody's stories. And that's really what we're doing here. We're gathering stories. Anybody who has a story about an episode of TNG, about uh, one of the Next Generation movies, about one of the computer games or whatever, we want to hear your stories. How did Jean-Luc Picard and his captainship and leadership, how did that influence you? How did that change you? In each podcast episode, Shark and I will discuss the relevant episode or movie and allow you to tell your story about how Jean-Luc Picard's mentorship shaped or influenced you. It could be funny. It can be sad. It can be dramatic. Uh, whatever. Um, you can reach out to us at picodcast at gmail.com. Again, that's picodcast at gmail.com. That's P-I-C-O-D cast at gmail.com. So let's go ahead and get started. I'll be sharing our first story for the Jean-Luc Picard cast. My personal experience is actually based on the movie Star Trek Generations. 
you know what? I was going to do a point-by-point -point breakdown of the entire story, but that's going to take way too long. And you know what? If you haven't seen the movie yet, it's been 25 years. Come on. And if you're worried about spoilers, it's been 25 years. George Clooney and Mark Wahlberg go down with a ship at the end of the movie. Soylent Green is people. And Old Yeller gets rabies and eats it. So here's what you do need to know for our conversation. Kirk dies, comes back, and dies again. Picard experiences a terrible family tragedy when his brother and nephew die in a fire. If you guys remember, you may remember there was actually an episode of Star Trek The Next, Gener Next Generation where you meet Picard's brother, and he's kind of a hard nose, and you meet Rene, his nephew. And, and so they actually did endear the fans a little bit to these characters. You're so jealous? Yes, damn it. I was always so jealous, and I had a right to be. A right? I was always your brother. And then just they, they wrote them off so horribly by having them die in a fire. Later on, Picard gets sucked into this nexus where he can make anything he imagines possible. Reflective of his regrets of not having a family, he creates for himself a wife and children. And this is where I thought there was a missed opportunity, the casting for his wife. Now granted, his wife only has like two lines. Gray. That would be perfect. So it's not a big part, but I thought they could have used someone that he had actually had a romantic relationship with in the series. That could have been a great little Easter egg. The one that came to my mind, I actually I looked her up to make sure I, I had her name right. Uh, Lieutenant Commander Nella Darren. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, it's all right. You're not used to playing with anyone, are you? Just the computer. Mm. I may not be as precise as a computer, but I think you'll enjoy it more. She's in um, the Next Generations episode uh, 19 of season six, and that's the one where uh, Picard um, struggles because he falls in love with this lady uh, who is his subordinate. And he has to order her into a dangerous situation. Yes. <laughs> Where she almost dies. At one point, he actually thinks she did die. And they end up breaking up because he can't deal with this uh, coupling the romance with his responsibility as her captain. So I thought that kind of, I think that kind of would have tied in nicely with the theme of the movie to have this kind of come back to him where he was like, oh, I should have, I should have just, you know, quit being a captain and, and married her but you know i understand why they didn't i just think it would, be, it would have been a nice little touch a nice little easter egg for the fans i mean heck they could have used famke jensen again too yeah actually i was just thinking that like they, she like imprinted on him it would have made perfect sense for her, her to return and become his fantasy wife i am independent forceful brilliant and adventurous exactly as you would have me be captain don't do this 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 you do with men uh, and then the the other character, uh, the fan favorite Vosh, she, she appeared a couple times uh, in Next Generation as you know uh, somebody who was sort of a Tomb Raider type character on his little archaeological adventures that he went on. And uh, there was definitely some real sexual tension built into their relationship. So it would have been interesting, or like a little, like you said, a little Easter egg to have the actress who played Vosh make a brief <laughs> appearance as as his wife uh, in the Nexus. But I, I like the idea of. Um, yeah, Lieutenant Darren. I think that would have been a good one. Anyway, that, I like that idea. Yeah, I think thematically it would have worked really well. Again, you know, it makes sense why they didn't. So I got to say, I really like this movie. And it wasn't until I was an adult that I realized that this is actually generally not favored by 
fans of the next generation. So it's kind of, maybe it's controversial that we're starting off the podcast with this uh, movie. <laughs> um, you'll listen and you'll listen. like it. <laughs> right. <laughs> there, there's, there seem to be two criticisms uh, that I hear from this. And one is Kirk's death, that it's kind of a, a weak death. And I get it. Like, it's Kirk. And it's William Shatner. Like, these guys, this this character and this actor deserve better than basically falling off a bridge. <laughs> uh, it just seems like kind of a weak way to send off arguably the biggest character in sci-fi, with the exception of maybe like Darth Vader. You know, and then the other criticism is that Jean-Luc uh, w- cries. I can't help thinking about all the experiences that René is not going to have about going to the Academy, reading books and listening to music. Like he was pretty emotional in this movie, and I think a lot of fans don't like seeing uh, their captain um, kind of broken down. Like, which I completely disagree with. Uh, me too. <laughs> that that is the note. I get the Captain Kirk note. I do not get the Picard note. I I disagree. I think it's interesting. I think well, it... and the, yeah, I've thought a lot about this actually, and 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 I also I, and I think there's like we can make a the context for this larger because it's not just about Picard. I think this standard for men in leadership to not betray what often are perceived as like weaker emotions. Um, I just don't like it, you know, and the same thing happened uh, post nine 11. If those of you who who remember uh, September 11th, 2001, I remember very vividly George W. Bush addressing the nation uh, in the wake of those attacks and crying on camera because he was talking about the loss of life and the loss of security. I mean, we all knew everything was changing and a lot of people criticized George W. Bush for crying on camera live in front of the nation. Uh, and I thought that that was a sign of weakness. And I remember thinking it's not a sign of weakness because he was showing empathy and he was showing that, you know, we all are sad. And he represented that in the nation, uh, you know, through that broadcast. And so I, and I, so I want to like that same thing, I think applies to Captain Picard. Like, I don't think we need to hold our, leaders that we revere to this impossible standard of, of only portraying the manliest and bravest of emotions. Um, like it's, but like allowing him to be sad and to show that he experiences empathy, that he experiences grief and deep sorrow, especially, I mean, it's the death of his only brother and his only nephew, uh, whom he loves. Um, you know, that's, I, I think it's admirable for him to show him cry. It's admirable to show He's an emotional person. He's a human person. He's not just the stalwart, hard-nosed, you know, brave captain of the Enterprise who go, boldly goes where no one has gone before. He, he's a person. And I think that adds value and depth to the character, like you said. Yeah, I, I really like, I love this movie, actually. And anytime, every time I watch it, I feel like I'm thrown back into uh, my days as a, a teenager when this came out and how exciting it was for our first Next Generation movie. Every time I watch it, it's a treat for me. So I apologize to those of you who disagree, but this is a good movie. It is. So this movie came out in November 1994. And again, for those of you who are old enough to remember, the internet as we know it was actually pretty young in 1994. And one of the things that was kind of remarkable about this movie, and but it's sort of just like a footnote now in the in the annals of history, is that they they created a website for the movie to help promote it and market it. And it's the first website that was ever created with the purpose of marketing a movie. 
which I think is kind of cool. Like, and, and it, especially since, you know, uh, a lot of people credit Star Trek as being this symbol of the future and something that not only inspired us to look to the future, but inspired modern inventions, you know, like the, the most obvious ones, the flip cell phone, uh, people credit Star Trek as uh, being the thing, one of the main things that uh, helped create and inspire, inspire that invention. Uh, I love that this uh, this movie that we look to or this series that we look to for the future, uh, you know, was one of the very first innovative uses of the internet to say, hey, we're going to use a website to market this movie. So I don't know. I think that's pretty cool. That is pretty cool. Thanks, Al Gore. <laughs> Thanks, Al Gore. <laughs> um, one thing, though, is that I, I don't think that this website is any longer accessible anymore. I think that it took uh, it down. Paramount wanted to save bandwidth and took it down. On the other hand, the Space Jam website is still up. So uh, also, so when was Space Jam? That was like, it's got to be like around the same year. Yeah, actually, I think it uh, was. Hang on. Google that. I'm looking it up. I'm looking it up right now. <laughs> Space Jam. 1996. So Space Jam came out in 1996, and they used a website to promote their movie with many animated GIFs and horrible things uh, associated <laughs> with mid-90s uh, websites. And that website is still up. So... Thank you again to Al Gore and Star Trek for leaving us the legacy of the Space Jam website. <laughs> Side note about Space Jam. I was telling Jared this before we started recording. Uh, a buddy of mine at work uh, was telling me about something he read online where someone was like, you know, uh, if Batman is supposed to be in his low to mid 30s, I like to imagine that the movie he and his parents were walking out of just before they got shot was Space Jam. <laughs> 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 that was pretty good. All right. Well. Without further ado, let's uh, go right into the story. So I'm going to kick this off. I uh, prepared a little something to talk about my relationship with the movie Star Trek Generations. Here we go. My dad was a geek. Now, if you know me, you might think that I'm implying he had a large comic book collection or played with Legos or maybe that he was first in line on opening day of each new superhero movie. But I think people who didn't have a close relationship with Dad didn't generally see the geeky side of him. He was pretty mild-mannered and pragmatic, an insurance salesman who would spend his weekends here and there with the Air National Guard for a time. I'm not sure Mom realized how geeky he could be until, several months into their courtship, he called her to postpone some date plans they had so that he could have time to finish watching an episode of George of the Jungle that was airing. George, George, George of the Jungle, strong as he can be. Watch out for that tree! While Dad was never a big collector of comics, he is the person who first taught me the Green Lantern Oath. He's also the guy responsible for hooking me on comics. I still remember that Christmas morning when I came downstairs to find that he had left a small stack of DC comics next to my stocking as well as those of my brothers. I actually still have those comics. But of all the geeky things my dad enjoyed, I think the one that contributed the most to family bonding, especially between him and his sons, was Star Trek. Born in the 40s, dad was part of the original, original series fan base. 
He loved Kirk, Bones, and especially Spock. He'd reference the Vulcan mind meld or neck pinch on a semi-regular basis, and you'd better believe the first time I ever saw the Vulcan salute was in my home, probably performed by Dad himself. Live long and prosper. So when 1987 came along, he was pretty excited to find that Gene Roddenberry was continuing Trek through the next generation. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. It was an opportunity to dive back into the world of Trek with his boys at his side, and that he did. In fact, over time, my two sisters even got into it a little. Week after week would find Dad and at least one or two of his children gathered around the TV with the family dog to experience together the continuing voyages of the USS Enterprise. Fast forward seven years to 1994. The next generation had run its course, but now it was taking over the Trek movie franchise, kicking off with generations. I have fond memories of waiting in line with my brothers to see that film on opening weekend. As the opening credits played to that bottle spinning through the blackness of space, I remember seeing Michael Dorn's name appear and some guy in the audience cheering, WARF! Dennis McCarthy's score was magical. Data's impression of Picard had me doubled over. Make it so. <laughs> the Enterprise D's demise was thrilling and sobering. It was an exciting time to be a Next Generation fan, an exciting time to share with my brothers, and after a while, I realized it was also sort of a mirror, in a way, of my dad and his sons. Perhaps the most obvious parallel here is the fact that Generations serves as a passing of the torch from the original series films to Next Generation. Kirk's final story is ensuring that Picard can be a part of many more, the two of them working together in this endeavor, much like how dad ensured Trek fandom would survive in his blood by using his love of the original series to get his children hooked on Next Generation bonding as a family unit in the process. But in the moments between Picard's meeting Kirk and Kirk's death, Kirk takes on sort of a patriarchal role for Picard, a forebear in the line of Enterprise captains who makes his progeny sit through stories from his past, like how he found true love and why kids these days just don't understand what it was like back in the day. And eventually he goes on to advise on the importance of commitment, duty, and being a positive force for good in the universe. Close to retirement? I'm not planning on it. Well, let me tell you something. Don't. Don't let them promote you. Don't let them transfer you. Don't let them do anything that takes you off the bridge of that ship because while you're there, you can make a difference. I have fond memories of my dad's stories. Mom would often prod him to reminisce of his youth in front of me and my siblings. Among my favorites were the tales of the trouble he and his best friend Jimmy would get into, like the time they were throwing orange peels at car wheels as they drove by, and one of them accidentally let one fly way off course, right into the open driver's side window, and the panicked foot chase that ensued. He'd tell us about the incredibly well-trained Springer Spaniel named Susie he had as a boy. He would hide raw eggs for her in their yard, and she would sniff them out and retrieve them without cracking their shells. 
Then there were the lovey-dovey stories about how the first time he saw Mom, she was a boy-crazy teenager riding a bicycle down the street with curlers in her hair. Most of us can relate to learning great life lessons from our dads, and my experience is certainly no exception. When his sons would reach milestones in our priesthood service in our church, he would sit down with each of us, open the scriptures, and review with us the obligations we were taking upon ourselves as men who claimed the authority of Jesus Christ himself. Whenever a new school year was starting, he would gather the children around and give each of us, one by one, a father's blessing that would offer us counsel for the coming year and insights into our personal strengths and talents. I remember one occasion in which I had been silently struggling with a question I had about how I could be a more sincere friend in my social circle. And my dad was able to sense this. And without me having ever told anyone anything about this struggle, he addressed it and told me that I didn't need to overly worry about this dilemma, that it would answer itself in time. He was the kind of man who found those little windows of opportunity to have a chat about something important. He caught me finishing a viewing of The Lion King in our family room one afternoon. He sat down next to me and had a brief discussion with me about my understanding of the film's message to understand my own potential and responsibility to live up to it. I'll never see a Costco hot dog without remembering the many times Dad would find an excuse to treat me to one and spend a few minutes focused on catching up with my life. Sometimes he'd ask me about something, like an upcoming school dance, and looking directly in my eyes, he'd remind me, you'd better treat your date like a queen, open the door for her, pull out her chair, be a total gentleman, because that's what she deserves. It didn't matter who the girl was, this was always his attitude. The opening sequence of Generations features a retired Kirk, accompanied by Scotty and Chekhov, being part of a publicity stunt as he sees the new Enterprise B out of spaceport for its first time. Being merely a guest aboard the ship, he gazes longingly at the captain's chair, and when trouble brews, he shifts in his off-to-the-side seat quite uncomfortably. Captain, is there something wrong with your chair? As I entered adolescence, Dad suffered a series of health issues, followed by depression and a forced early retirement. Like Kirk in the film's opening scene, feeling uncomfortable on the bridge of a ship without being in command, Dad's loss of a career left him feeling useless. In desperation, he tried to use my self-taught skill of writing HTML to help him build an online business selling hearing aid batteries. It turns out that leaning on a 16-year-old to successfully start a company isn't generally a great business plan. Once, after all of his kids had grown and moved out of the house, he printed off a bunch of paper medals he'd found online and labeled them One Tough Gillen's Kid, mailing a copy to each of his children along with an explanation that he saw each of us as a strong, stalwart individual who didn't let life get them down. I think a part of him recognized how difficult it was for himself to face these challenges, and those little paper medals, silly as they were, were perhaps his way of telling his kids to learn from his mistakes and to do better with our trials. One of the biggest complaints I hear about Star Trek Generations is the way in which Kirk's passing is handled. The biggest sci-fi hero for generations of fans dies clinging to a falling bridge, essentially a battle with gravity, 
as opposed to a glorious phaser exchange with a horde of Klingon warriors or a self-sacrificing ram into a Romulan warbird. The Federation's prize champion snuffed out unceremoniously with only one man to witness, Picard, his metaphorical son, to whom Kirk delivers his final reminder. Did we make a difference? Did we do it? Did we make a difference? And while I certainly understand the complaint about his death not being that great, I mean, it's not very exciting or dramatic, cinematic, or worthy on any level of either a character or actor as big as Kirk and Shatner. It's really the way most of our real-world heroes leave us. Quietly, without the universe's awareness, yet leaving behind for their loved ones something to take to heart. I was married on February 5th, 2011 in the city of Los Angeles. On the evening of February 3rd, my parents arrived at my apartment, exhausted from a long drive from Utah. Being in a car that long kind of complicated their ongoing health issues, and they were really looking forward to a day of rest before being thrown into a day of wedding festivities. I woke up on February 4th, determined to knock out the rest of my wedding to-do list early so I could spend the rest of my day with my parents and siblings. I knew at one point Dad would give me another father's blessing as I prepared to start my own family, followed by the awkward, stereotypical talk about the wedding night. As I stepped into my apartment's living room, where Dad was already awake and watching TV, I grabbed my shoes and Dad asked if he could take me to breakfast. I told him I needed to just knock out these last couple of things ASAP and suggested that we do lunch instead. He agreed, and as I walked away, we gave each other a silly kind of salute with our hands. I came home a couple hours later to my tiny apartment filled with paramedics, my mom looking on from the kitchen as dad lay on the floor, lifeless and periodically convulsing as a defibrillator did its work. My father, one of my biggest heroes, didn't go out in a dramatic blaze of glory, like taking down a terrorist or rescuing a bus full of school children from falling off a cliff. He died of heart failure in a boring one-bedroom apartment in a boring corner of Northridge, California. My mom was outside the building trying to help the paramedics find my door when he slipped away. On his own, nobody to be witness to the moment of his passing. I never got that lunch date with Dad, but I often wonder what he would have talked about. Certainly, he would have mentioned how much he liked my fiance and how beautiful she looked in her bridal photos I had showed him the night before. He couldn't get over how amazing she was in her dress. Based on those priesthood lectures he'd given me throughout my life and the way he always urged me to be a reasonable dater, he likely would have spoken to me of my impending obligations as a husband and future father, reminding me to make my wife the center of my goals and aspirations, the focus of all my attention. He would have told me how proud he was of me for reaching this next milestone in life and for the quality of woman I had chosen. He would have encouraged me to make a difference. In his closing statement of the film, Captain Picard, buoyed up by the teachings of the dying Captain Kirk, tells Commander Riker, Time is a companion who goes with us on the journey, reminds us to cherish every moment. What we leave behind is not as important as how we've lived. He's resolved to focus on being a force for good rather than live in regret of being the last Picard. 
The words of Kirk echo in his heart, as the lessons from my father do in mine. While I greatly mourned the passing of my father on February 4, 2011, the way he taught me to live motivated me to move forward with my wedding plans the next day and commit to be the best husband I could be for the sake of my bride and our future children. And you know what? It was a pretty great day. The start of a marriage and family that has brought incredible happiness to me and my wife. And once my sons and daughters are old enough, you can bet we're going to be spending plenty of time around the TV, exploring the galaxy with the latest crew of the Starship Enterprise. I love you, Dad. Shark sent me the draft of this before we recorded this episode, and I read through it, and I got really emotional, but I also, it made me reflect a lot. And I think it just really makes sense to me. Um, the whole purpose of this podcast is to reflect on how the character of Jean-Luc Picard influenced us. And, and as a, somebody who grew up as a young man, starting at seven years old watching this series, I can't help but think of him as in a fatherly way. And then, and the same thing with Captain Kirk, um, who it was, uh, you know, William Shatner is roughly, I mean, he probably is a little older than our dad, but you know, that same generation. And so thinking about Kirk as a father figure, thinking about Picard as a father figure, and then liking that to my own father, like it made a lot of sense to me. And I think a lot of our listeners will also relate, especially again, th- those of us who grew up watching the show. And, th- and that's like something I think also that gets communicated throughout the series um, a lot that, that Picard, you know, and it really, it, and it comes to a head and it becomes a very clear in the next generation, you know, how much he wishes to be a father and to have progeny. But throughout the series, I think they did a good, a jo- did a good job of showing that he really is a father to, in, in a lot of ways, to the people whom he leads. Uh, you know, and, and maybe the best example of that is the episode where uh, the, the, the kids on the Enterprise are celebrating Captain Picard Day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, they all get stuck in the, he gets stuck in the turbo lift with a bunch of kids and he has to like lead them to safety. Mm-hmm. Like Picard, whether he realizes it or not, has been a paternal figure to many people in his career. Yeah, not to mention, you know, Wesley. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, <laughs> Wesley like there's a huge motif especially in those first few seasons before the traveler comes and things kind of get odd with Wesley's <laughs> character. Um that there's this um yeah, very obvious connection, especially since Picard has had such an interesting colorful past with the Crusher family, mm-hmm. uh, having been captain to Wesley's father when when he died and also having a, sort of a pseudo romantic relationship with Dr. Crusher. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I mean, Picard is very much a father figure. So I don't know. I, so I like the idea in the show, they've shown us Picard is a father figure, whether or not he realizes it, you know, cause that's what he struggles with in generations. Um, and to be able to extrapolate that and apply it to ourselves, like, I think that's a really natural comparison. So anyway, I really appreciated your, this essay that you wrote. And I, and I think uh, hopefully a lot of our, listeners will be able to relate to it too. Thanks, man. Yeah, you know what? I think that's one of the great things that Roddenberry did. By bringing back Star Trek through the next generation, he kind of created this generational experience for families 
fathers, sons, mothers, daughters to gather together and bond over Trek. And I think that's really something special that it's kind of a first time for the realm of sci-fi, I feel like. But you know what, Jared? I think it's time to wrap things up. So why don't you take us out? All right. So thank you all for listening. And I, we hope that you enjoyed Shark's Reminiscences and our our discussion of uh, Star Trek Generations. Hopefully you guys agree with us. It was a great movie. And if you don't agree with us, we'd love to hear about that too. If you want to talk to us about an episode or a movie or a game of Star Trek that uh, influenced you, one that involved Captain Picard, once again, you can reach out to us at Picodcast at gmail.com that's p-i-c-o-d cast at gmail.com we're also on social media you can find us on facebook if you search for the jean-luc picodcast you should find us we are also on twitter at picodcast don't forget to submit ideas for your own story like jared mentioned and please like subscribe do all of the things to show support if you want more picodcast we look forward to hearing from you with your uh, thoughts about or the episode that we just talked about, as well as the story we've shared, as well as your own stories about the ways that Next Generation and Captain Picard have touched you. We'll be back soon with a story from Jared about Next Generation, how it's influenced his life. Looking forward to sharing that with you guys. But until then, this has been the Jean-Luc Picard cast. Make it so. Chaka, when the wolves fell. I want you all to stop crying. Sorry, I was just curious and because uh, I wanted to make sure that I didn't say anything wrong. <laughs> and the Space Jam website is indeed still up. <laughs> <laughs> and it looks exactly like it did in 1996. I know how I'm oh spending my, my afternoon. Holy cow. I believe I can fly. No, sorry. I'm just like clicking through and like I'm just like, well, sure, the homepage is still there. I was like, what else is there? And um, the downloads are still up. Like, you can still download the screensaver. Download the screensaver for either Mac or Windows 95. That's amazing. Here's a question. Yeah. Can I retroactively buy movie tickets and correct the largest mistake of my life, which was not seeing this movie in theaters? <laughs> I don't think you can. I'm sorry. <laughs> but I just clicked the download thing for Mac, and it's like screensaver.sea.hqx. What is an HQX file? I've never even heard of that. Maybe you have to open it in WordPerfect. <laughs> or Lotus. Lotus. <laughs> uh, that's fantastic.